Welcome to episode 21 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Jason Martinez with you today. We're going to talk with TSN.ca uh, NHL senior NHL reporter Frank Saravalli in just a few moments. But uh, a couple things to get to before we get there. Obviously, we're in mid-March now. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty. We're going to talk about some Hart Trophy stuff with uh, Frank Saravalli. I don't th- I ever recall a Hart Trophy race being as wide open, if you will, as this one. You have so many players in the mix that could win this, from Blake Wheeler to Malkin, who's got 40 goals this year. Uh, obviously, Kucherov, but uh, you look at his value and the heart, and he's been spectacular this year, but you know he's got other weapons on that team with Stamkos. Does Stamkos fracture his vote a little bit uh, down there in Tampa? Also, Nathan McKinnon, who missed some games, but is having a spectacular season in Colorado with one of the biggest turnarounds in the salary cap era of an NHL team. Connor McDavid, another great season statistically, but his team not going to make the playoffs. Uh, guys like Claude Giroux, who are having a huge resurgence season, 83 points uh, on the season right now, and a move to wing to do what he's done. Uh, so the Hart Trophy race is one of the very interesting topics of discussion right now as we come down to the end of the regular season. And as you know, the Hart Trophy is awarded for the regular season, no postseason consideration. Those ballots will be cast prior to that. Um, also, when you look at the situations in the playoffs right now in both the Eastern and Western Conference, uh, still some battles to be had here as we come down the stretch last couple of weeks uh, the foregone conclusion of who's going to be in and who's going to be out of the playoffs is not uh, provided just yet uh, eight or eight spots in the eastern conference right now and nine teams vying for that and really the four teams vying for the final three positions are the flyers columbus new jersey and the florida panthers who've been a tremendous story over the past couple of months just to creep back into this story the interesting thing about florida too with this big comeback to get back in into the mix, a couple of things to consider. They obviously have the games in hand. We all know that. Um, but the other thing is they'll end their season with five games in seven days. And that is a very tough thing. They have a makeup game that was canceled earlier in the season against Boston that they have to make up. So five games in seven days. And it's going to come right down to the end. How they handle that five games in seven days could be the determining factor if they're on the outside looking in. And we'll see how that plays out. And then obviously the other big talking point is, you know, what is Washington going to be able to do in the playoffs? They haven't gotten past the second round, as we all know, with Alexander Ovechkin. They're leading right now the uh, Metropolitan Division. And they're trying to, you know, they need to avoid the Pittsburgh Penguins and have somebody else take care of the dirty work for them. So if Pittsburgh uh, ends up in that first round against the Flyers, Columbus, or the Devils, uh, obviously Washington hoping to avoid them. We'll see how that plays out because that's going to play a big part in the future of Barry Trotz, who's on the last year of his deal. And uh, if they're able to go on a playoff run, Barry Trotz probably comes back with the Capitals. If if they go out in the first or second round, uh, well, Washington probably moves on from Barry Trotz. So uh, we'll talk about that with Frank as well. Also, uh, when you look at the Western Conference, Conference. Uh, the one team that's on the outside looking in right now that's extremely dangerous is this Anaheim Ducks team. Uh, they're one point back of Dallas right now in the Western Conference. We'll see if they're able to get into the postseason. And Nashville right now, just absolutely steamrolling. Unbelievable the way they're playing. Pekka Rene has had a huge year for that team and a big reason why they are where they are. Uh, a couple of teams to look at, though. Obviously, Winnipeg, a team built for the playoffs. They need to get healthy, get Shifley back out there, and they've been dealing with some injuries. And then, of course, Vegas as well. The expansion team, what are they going to be able to accomplish in the playoffs is going to be a very intriguing story to follow as well. Let's get to it right now. Let's bring in the man from TSN.ca, senior NHL reporter Frank Saravalli joining us on the Stick to Hockey podcast. How are you doing today, Frank? 
What's up, Jay? Well, it's that time of year. We're getting close to playoff times, and uh, things are getting very interesting all around the National Hockey League and hockey in general. So let's uh, let's get started. Get right into it. We got a lot to get to. Uh, I saw your uh, your tweet and uh, about transparency with the voters uh, for the NHL awards. Were you surprised, first and foremost, uh, that so many people would overwhelmingly vote for this transparency? Well, only surprised in the sense that. I was involved in these talks with the PHWA to go to transparency, you know, going back a handful of years. And it's been something that's been on the radar and been a discussion point in meetings. So um, basically there was a push in July, in January, excuse me, at the All-Star Game to go to transparency and reveal every voter's individual ballot after the NHL awards ceremony in June. And I thought it was an important step to take and, and membership uh, obviously voted to uh, agree with that and push for transparency. More than 80% of members voting uh, in the first two weeks of March to reveal everyone's ballot. And to be fair, it's not unanimous. There's still uh, almost 20% of that group that doesn't want their ballots out there. They don't feel like there's a lot to gain. But the way that I look at it, Jay, is this. As a reporter, I'm constantly asking GMs, players, agents, teams for transparency. So I think that that should be asked, and it's fair to be asked of me as well as a voter for the significant end-of-season awards. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, if we're asking for it, we should provide it as well. Now let's get into sure. the, to the voting, because I, I don't recall in recent memory a heart race that has been uh, this wide open, uh, where so many players with uh, are making a really good case to win the Hart Trophy come the NHL awards uh, after the season. But right now we've got a really interesting dynamic race, because you have some guys that have teams that are scuffling to get into the playoffs and, and make a playoff, and you have uh, other teams, and Connor McDavid, where He's having a sensational season, is accounting for uh, a tremendous amount of his team's offense and scoring, uh, but his team is not in it and trying to figure out how to weigh those different aspects of it. Then you have guys like uh, Evgeny Malkin, who's just off the charts, but is his, does his vote get fractured by Crosby, who's probably not in that conversation this year? And you look at Kucherov. I mean, it's, it's a mess out there. Who do you have as your leading candidate right now, and how should this field shape up? Well, that's why it's, uh, I mean, look, transparency is going to be out there from here on, but it's a fascinating year to see how everyone votes. Like, I, I'm really, we've got less than three weeks before the ballots come out, and uh, I don't know where I'm going with Hart Trophy. I don't even know where to start. Uh, I have a pretty good idea of some of the names that are on my list, but you're allowed to pick five, five selections in order, first to fifth. And I think at this point you could easily come up with 10 to 12 names that could legitimately be in your top five. So one of the guys that obviously is going to get a real long look from me is Nathan McKinnon and the season that he's had consistently excellent with the Colorado Avalanche, a team that was one of the worst teams ever in the salary cap era, actually the worst ever in the salary cap era. They didn't break 50 points last year. And that team is now in the playoff chase and has been there and actually has been surging of late. So McKinnon, with his 35 goals, he's certainly in the mix. He's gotten better since they traded away Matthew Shane, taking that distraction out of there. And they've been not so subtle, by the way, in hinting about what a relief that was that he's gone. That's something that you hear hockey players often do. So 
One of the other names that's popped up in more recent weeks and days is another guy who's you know, leading towards a top five appearance on my ballot is Andre Kopitar. He's had an under-the-radar season. He has 30-some more points than the next closest guy on the Los Angeles Kings, Drew Doughty. He's been really, really good. He hits 80 points uh, in their win on Thursday night. So what, do you, what, what does the rest of the ballot look like? How do you decipher? And I think that's the one thing that I've been really struggling with is the playoff, non-playoff uh, factor. So if the Avs don't get in, does that then nullify the season that McKinnon has had? It probably knocks him down a few pegs, but the truth is we won't really know until the final two or three days before the ballots are due. So it's going to need to come up kind of quickly, and you're going to have to make that call. Uh, Taylor Hall, what about his season? He's missed seven uh, games or so uh, from his team with an injury. Does he belong in the Hart Trophy race? I would say yes. Another team, the New Jersey Devils, like you're looking at a team that had no business really being in the playoff conversation this year. Their team has floundered for long stretches, yet there's Taylor Hall with his 25-game point streak that really keeps that team breathing, keeps their playoff hopes alive. Um, And so he's really been the driving force behind that. So, is it best player? It's the age-old debate, which I'd love for us to figure out sooner rather than later. Is it best player, or is it uh, most valuable to his team? Because if you're going to go down the most valuable player, Jay, you're going to go down that road. I mean, how do you then vote for a guy from the Tampa Bay Lightning? How do you vote for yeah. Petrov, Stamkos, or Vasilevsky when you can't even really make the determination on that team? How do you vote for Evgeny Malkin? who hits 40 goals for the third time in his career when he has Phil Kessel and Sidney Crosby that have had tremendous seasons as well. Then does the same conversation come up with the Philadelphia Flyers and Claude Giroux and the sort of had with Jake Voracek and Sean Couturier also having excellent seasons? Um, so you try and decipher and get through all of that. My pick at the midseason as number one for Hart Trophy week season awards at the PHWA, my pick was Blake Wheeler. The Winnipeg Jets are a true Stanley Cup contender, having an awesome season, and he's the one that carried that team when Mark Shifley was out. He was playing on the right wing where it's so incredibly hard to drive play, and then he moved to center, and the Jets didn't miss a beat. They still remained atop the Central Division for a long stretch. At the All-Star break, they were right there uh, ahead of the Predators at that point, and Wheeler, down the middle, they were just as good with Wheeler playing center as they were on the wing. Then they go out and get Stastny because you can now move Wheeler back to the wing, uh, and he's created a lot of flexibility for that team. The list of candidates is unlike anything that I've seen. You can make case for a lot of different guys. Barkov, Marsham, Alex Ovechkin. And we didn't talk about Ovechkin and the 42-goal season that he's at. Yeah, and he doesn't seem to be slowing down, and he gets that, that huge goal the other night at 600th. Uh, when you look at the, the career of Alexander Ovechkin, we know what he's been able to do. He's the best scorer uh, in the NHL, uh, certainly of the last generation, maybe a couple of generations uh, since Gretzky. But uh, when you look at uh, him, he'll obviously be judged by his playoff success. And if Barry Trotz, uh, who's on the last year of a deal, is able to get them past that second round. But, Frank, when you look at this situation, too, when you look talk about these great players, and you've got guys like Marshan, who's been unbelievable 
unbelievable, but he suffers, gets the suspension earlier in the season. Those things will hurt those guys. Uh, when it's all said and done, uh, you look at a team like Winnipeg, and you mentioned Blake Wheeler. That's a team that's built for playoff success, is it not? It is, but I, like, I don't know how you factor that into your hard trophy consideration yeah. because it's only supposed to be for the regular season. A lot of times we end up voting on these awards and we get through the playoffs and say, why do we vote for that guy again? Like, I, you know, his playoffs weren't very good, but it's not about that. It's only, you can only turn in your ballot. Uh, they're due before puck drop of the first game of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So at that point, that's all you can do. And so does it, does it matter at all that Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers won't be participating in the playoffs? I mean, you mentioned his season and how good it's been. To me, he's the best player in the world, and I I don't even think it's particularly close. Yeah, you watch him, and he's had very little help around him. His season is better than it was last year. He has 33 goals. He has 30 all of last year. Uh, he's third in the points race, and he's done it on a team that's been horrendous. And yeah, people the argument against that for for teams and players is, well, wait a second. So the Oilers are, what, 27th, 28th in the league around there. So Connor McDavid is, what, the difference between them being 31st? And I I don't think that necessarily has anything to do with it. I still, as a voter, lean towards the best player in the league. Because once you get to the best player category, then by and large, if you're talking about a player in that circle, then they should also be answering the question of, are they the most valuable to their team? Now, the last player to win the Hart Trophy without being in the playoffs was Mario Lemieux in 87-88. And the Penguins missed by one point that year, so I think that's where a lot of people are getting hung up on that stat. But at one point, does it make a difference between one point and 17 points or 18 points that they missed the playoffs? I don't know that your team needs to be in consideration. I think he's been that far ahead and away the best player in the league, but I don't know what to do with my ballot. I've never seen a year this perplexing. At this point, we almost always know who our top three choices are, and you're kind of just looking to fill in with fourth and fifth. It is so incredibly wide open this year. Yeah, and it's actually a great thing for the game when you have this kind of debate this late in the season as well. Now, Frank, a weird thing has happened in the NHL this year. Uh, We are here now in basically mid-March, and a coach has not been relieved of his duties. Um are you stunned by that in any way, shape, or form? And what is that uh, kind of uh, forecast for the off season when all the coaches uh, of that have underperformed, uh, according to their GMs, get let go? The market should be quite interesting this summer. It's funny that you asked about that because I, and unbeknownst to you, I just filed a story for TSN.ca on this exact same topic. How it's been a record year for NHL job security. It's the first time ever since 66, 67 that there has not been one head coaching change. And that was back when there was only six jobs to go around before <laughs> the expansion in which the Flyers came in. So think about that. Every year since the Flyers and five other teams joined the league in 67, there's been at least two in-season coaching changes. Not one, two. We've had as many as ten and just a few years ago, we had seven in 2011-2012. It's been crazy to see the volatility in the coaching market. You think back to the 2017 calendar year, Jay, there was 11 head coaching changes in that calendar year. Some wow. came in the offseason, 
That's more than a third of the league's jobs have turned over in one year. So am I surprised? Yes, because it seems like there's been some itchy trigger fingers from some of these GMs. But at the same token, you, you look at trends in the league, and it's almost like patience and finding that patience has come as one of the new things that's in vogue. And there's two teams and two examples that I point to that have really shown that patience. One is the Winnipeg Jets, because everyone was calling for not only Paul Maurice to be fired, but Kevin Chevaldeoff to go with him. They had made this four trades in four calendar years since missing the playoffs. Now all of a sudden the Jets are a contender. Maurice is a contender for the Jack Adams Award as coach of the year in short order. I mean, this is a guy that heading into the season had the second best odds to be the first coach fired. And the other example is the Philadelphia Flyers. You heard the chants of Fire Axel uh, echoing through Wells Fargo Center in November during that 10-game winless skit. And then you heard Ron Hextall forcefully say and kind of quell those chants and, and put that to bed when he said, that Dave Haxtell is our coach and will remain our coach, period. Uh, he said, I'm not going to say it again. He's not going anywhere. So I think once that quieted down, you saw this team's play change on the ice, people recognizing that he wasn't going anywhere to stop talking about it. And now that team has had a firm grip on a playoff spot for more than two months now. Yeah. And yeah. while they've had some crazy runs, um, I, I think, you're looking at it and saying, is there a trend developing here where GMs might be more willing to stick with their guy? Yeah, I call it the uh, Gerard Gallant effect. <laughs> Obviously, we know what happened with him waiting for the cab and all that. And then we see yep. what he's done this year, and he's going to be the coach of the year with the Jack Adams when it's all said and done for the job he's done with Vegas. So uh, maybe that has an impact or not. I'm not sure. That, though, saying all of that, there's still there's still going to be some sort of NHL version of Black Monday when the regular season ends. I think there's a handful of jobs that I'm looking at or teams wondering what they're going to do with their head coach. Yeah, you're looking at so Carolina, the the Islanders. Well, yeah, the Islanders. I, I have more of a question mark about because Garth Snow doesn't seem to do much of anything. But really, I'm looking at the Rangers with Vigneault. As you said, Peters in Carolina, Glenn Gullickson in Calgary if they miss the playoffs, mm-hmm. Bill Quenville in Chicago, and Todd McClellan in Edmonton. The other question marks I have for me are Guy Boucher in Ottawa, Phil Housley in Buffalo, even though he's just wrapping up his first season, and Ken Hitchcock as well, depending on what happens with the Dallas Stars. So we could still see significant turnover, but I think everyone is curious, first and foremost, what happens with Joel Quindle? Yeah, and he's the guy that's going to initiate. He'll be unemployed for as long as he wants to be if Chicago does uh, intend to move on. seconds? Yeah, yeah, whoever. And he'll go wherever he likes. Um, at the GM meetings coming up next week, Frank, uh, uh, what do we expect to get out of these GM meetings, and can we get any clarity before we get to the NHL playoffs on goalie interference? Well, um, I, that's this is going to be the meatiest, GM's meetings, I can remember. I've been going down there for three, four, five years now. And I, this is going to be fascinating to see the way that this plays out. I don't think we can enter the Stanley Cup playoffs without having some sort of clarity on how goaltender interference is going to be called. Everyone is shrugging their shoulders saying, what is goalie interference? Coaches, players, everyone's frustrated. 
And I just don't know what they can do because it's so incredibly subjective. Each referee on the ice views goaltender interference through a different prism. The expectation coming out of All-Star Weekend was, let's not search for it. If you don't see it quite clearly and it's not apparent on the video as you're looking at it on the tablet right away, then it should be a good goal. You shouldn't have to really search for it. And we thought that that might clear it up a little bit, serve as some sort of reset, but there's been so many egregious calls with regard to goaltender interference since then that I think they have to find some sort of way to, to find clarity. I just don't know what it is. I don't know what they can implement for the rest of this season that can change it. What I'd like to see ultimately is just to get rid of video review altogether in the off season. You obviously can't do it now midstream, but go back to the way it used to be. If you don't see it on the ice in real time, then let's move on. And yes, we're ultimately going to have calls that are going to be missed, but I can't imagine that they're going to be any more egregious than the question marks that we've had now with this process. Yeah, it's been one of those head scratchers all year, and you got to see how the competition committee will handle it as well. And uh, it's something that certainly needs to be solved. And we hope a playoff game or a series, in fact, does not come down to one of these calls. That would be the nightmare scenario. Frank, let me throw a bunch of random questions with you, at you here, uh, real quick, and get your answers on these. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks, right now, on the outside looking in in the Western Conference, they get in their team that can do damage in the Western Conference. Are they a team that could be? It'll really be a tough matchup for anybody, including Nashville and Winnipeg. I think so. I watched that team in the second round last year. I was with uh, the Oilers, and I saw their play against Edmonton last year when they knocked them out. Edmonton should have won that series, but Anaheim is a contender if they get in. You see Getzlaff, Perry, and most importantly, Ryan Kessler go to playoff form. I think they're a team to be reckoned with if they can get in. The fact that they're even in this conversation at all is a testament to them based on how far behind they were with all the injuries they had. At a certain point halfway through the season, Perry and Getzlaff had only played four games together in the same lineup. They've kind of been cruising since then. Yeah, uh, Vegas, a team in the Western Conference as well. They've surprised everybody around the NHL. Been a great story. Uh, when they get to playoff time, can they go on a little bit of a run? They could. I mean, I'd be surprised, but I've been saying that all season. I've kind of been waiting for um, the other shoe to drop with that Vegas team. I think with their goaltending, if Marc-Andre Flair is playing well, they're going to have an opportunity. But, you know, this is the point in the year when you really start to run into some depth issues, and that's when it really starts to show. The question is, who are they playing in their first uh, first-round game? It seems like the Colorado Avalanche would be the current matchup. Uh, but if Anaheim were to somehow end up in the first wild card spot, it could be a really tough first-round opponent for Vegas. Yeah, no question about it. And Marc-Andre Fleury picked up his 400th win over the Flyers this past week and, uh, in my estimation, probably is a Hall of Famer. Let's switch over to the Eastern Conference, uh, Frank. Uh, of the bottom teams, and you have three teams or four teams, I guess, really battling for uh, these spots in the top eight in the Eastern Conference. The foregone conclusion teams are all those teams in the Atlantic, Tampa, Boston, Toronto, uh, the Capitals, and Pittsburgh. But you have four teams vying for these final three spots with the Flyers, Columbus, New Jersey, and Florida. First, who's the team that does not get in of those four? I think it ends up being Florida. I know they have the games in hand. Uh, you got to win the games in hand for them to matter. They're still three points back, and the math indicates that 
New Jersey still has a leg up. And I would have said that New Jersey would be the team that would be out based on this trip that they're on. I thought it was going to make or break their season. The fact that they beat to start off the trip, both the Nashville Predators and Vegas, not only beat Vegas, but whoop Vegas, teams that had a combined 15 regulation losses this season on home ice, they win both those games to start the trip before getting to California. I think that bodes really well for their playoff chances. Uh, I think the Flyers are in, and I think Columbus is in as well. Columbus is a team that's been bipolar this year. I, I can't believe the run and roller coaster that they've had. They started really well. Then they went a 40-game stretch where they were one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. And then somehow they revived their season when it seemed like they were the team that was falling off. They've now won six straight, eight and two in their last ten. And you're saying, well, what's been the difference? I think their trade deadline acquisitions, Ian Cole most importantly, mm-hmm. uh, obviously you have Thomas Vanek, uh, that also has made an impact as well. Test too. Test. Yeah. But it's it's really Cole bringing that Stanley Cup prowess in from Pittsburgh. He's an underrated key part of that run. You were saying for the longest time that the Penguins couldn't win without Chris Letang and some of the other issues that they had on their back end and how thin they were. I don't think Ian Cole got enough credit, and I saw both of those Pittsburgh wins really up close. I was with that team for six out of their last eight playoff rounds. He was a big part of that team. Yeah. Uh, and the other interesting note about Florida, too, Frank, five of their they play five games in seven days to end the season because of the makeup game uh, with Boston and three remaining games against the Bruins, who now are playing maybe for the top spot in the Atlantic Division. So it's very interesting. I forgot about the makeup game. Yeah. They, you know, the Bruins, too, like you'd think that at that point that they wouldn't have anything to play for, but you're right. They can still somehow win that top spot. In the Atlantic, they have a game in hand over the Lightning, and they're only four points back. They've been an incredible story this year. Yeah, and they're a little injured right now, but uh, if they can get healthy, they're a team that's going to be really dangerous come playoff time as well with that goaltending and uh, the depth they have up front with uh, Bergeron and uh, obviously Marchand having a great year. So it'll be a real interesting look for the Boston Bruins. Frank, we appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you soon on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Looking forward to it.